the message that I'm going to preach this morning will not go down as one of my favorite messages to preach. Neither will it probably go down as one of your favorite messages to listen to. So at that point, I guess maybe we're even. But for our day and age, I believe it's a very, very necessary uh, passage and sermon this morning. And when I was laying this sermon series on the, from the book of 1 Thessalonians out weeks ago, and uh, after today I've got two more, and then we'll be done with the book of 1 Thessalonians. But I was laying it out in the series, Don't Be Left Behind, that we're, we've been in for the past few weeks. And I, I was tempted to skip this passage, to be perfectly honest with you. But there was something or someone that would not allow me to do that. And I sensed it more and more as I read through and studied the book of 1 Thessalonians that as much as I, I don't like preaching on this subject, nonetheless, I, I have to do that. And so this morning, I, I want to just share with you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to go back and I'm going to uh, take those verses apart as we walk through this passage. But I want to read it all in one stretch this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit. And the whole, the whole theme here. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the first 12 verses, is this idea of living to please God. What does a life look like that pleases God? And it's one of the great themes of Paul's writings. Pleasing God. And I believe it should be one of the great motivating factors in the Christian life. Is living our lives to please God. The Lord. Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. And I started to study that idea of pleasing God a little bit in the New Testament. I, I came across Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 where we have an Old Testament character by the name of Enoch. If you remember, 
Uh, Enoch walked with God. That's what the book of Genesis tells us. Genesis chapter 5. Enoch walked with God. But in Hebrews 11.5, it says, Before God called him to heaven. If you remember, Enoch never died. Just left this earth, went straight to heaven. Before God called him to heaven, he was commended as one who pleased God. Jesus, in John chapter 8, verse 29, said, The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. And I always do what pleases him. Wow. If you want to know what was the driving force in Jesus' life, it's, I'm I'm always trying to do, I'm always doing what pleases him. God, my Father. And Paul says in verse 1, Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Isn't that neat? He's saying about this Thessalonians church, we instructed you to live to please God, and that's what you're doing. So there was no reason for Paul to browbeat them. There was no reason for Paul to beat them up because they were already doing that. However, Paul understood. There comes a time in our lives where sometimes we don't continue to do what we have been doing. We settle into comfort zones and uh, we, we, we do those things. And so Paul, he didn't want them to be content with their spiritual growth, but he wanted them to keep on excelling in that area of pleasing God more and more. But he commended them on doing that. You know, you're already doing it. Keep on doing it. Keep on doing it more and more to please God. And then he goes on in verse 2 and he says, For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And by the way, this whole subject that Paul is giving here in 1 Thessalonians 4, these are not the words of Paul. He says, what I am telling you, the instructions I'm giving you, and he uses that word instructions three different times, these are the actual instructions uh, with the authority of the Lord behind them. Okay? So he's basically saying, don't shoot the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. Listen to the message. This is what the Lord wants me to tell you. And that's the authority by which I tell you these things. Verse 3. It is, it's God's will that you should be sanctified. People always wonder, what is God's will for my life? Study the scriptures. There are a number of verses that tell you this is God's will. And one of those things is that we be sanctified. Now, what does that mean? The word sanctified means set apart. Set apart from sin. So you're set apart from something, but you're set apart to something, to God. Set apart from sin, set apart to God. All right? Uh, We substitute the word a lot of times holiness, and we use the word sanctification basically interchangeably. Sanctification is God working in us To make us more like Jesus. That's sanctification. That process. Okay? God working in us to make us more like Jesus. That is God's will. And then the second part of that, he says, 
Not only is it God's will that we should be sanctified, it's also God's will that we should avoid sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. And so he's been talking about this idea of being sanctified and being holy. If you look at verse 4, he says that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Holy. Look at verse 7. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And he keeps talking about this holiness, holiness, holiness. How many of you know that holiness pleases God? Why does holiness in us please God? Because it's what God is. He is holy. And when we're holy, at that point, we are like God. Holy, holy, holy. Now, I need to explain something to you so you understand the context of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to go back nearly 2,000 years to the culture and the times of the Thessalonians. There were two great temptations that Paul felt the Thessalonians could quickly fall back into. And that's why he wrote the book of 1 Thessalonians, was to tell them, keep going forward, don't go back to where you came from and the stuff that you used to do. The first one was idolatry. They were only 50 miles away from Mount Olympus, and if you know anything about Greek mythology, you know that the Greeks had all kinds of gods that they worshipped. Gods of the rivers, gods of the trees, god of the sun, god of just everything. And Paul tells the Thessalonians in chapter 1, verse 9, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 9 in 1 Thessalonians, For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Paul's saying, I don't want you Thessalonians to go back to the idols. That's how you you came out of that. You turned from that to serving God. I don't want you to go back to that. That was one of the big problems was he was was scared, a little tempted that they might go back to idolatry. But the other one that was even a bigger problem for him was immorality. Immorality. And that's why he writes this chapter. I want to share with you just a few thoughts from uh, this particular time in history. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, he says, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint. Okay? That's the boundary for a Christian. Not even a hint. Or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Not even a hint. The word sexual immorality is a kind of a broad term in that it, it covers a lot of different things. It's the word porneia. Porneia. It covers premarital sex. It covers extramarital sex. It covers homosexuality. It covers adultery. It covers pornography. In fact, we get our English word pornography from that word for sexual immorality, porneia. There's not even supposed to be a hint of that. We are to live holy lives. Not even a hint. 
I remember as a teenager, one of the things I liked to do was I liked to get on my bicycle and I would go out, and this is back in the days when uh, you could go out and get uh, pop bottles. And then you could redeem those pop bottles. They'd give you like 10 cents on deposit. Remember those days? So I'd ride my bicycle out to Adams Center Road because at that time it wasn't developed very well. And people would use that as the cut through. And there were a lot of bottles. People would just throw pop bottles out of their cars. And then I'd take them and cash them in. And I'll never forget the day. I was out there looking for pop bottles and all of a sudden I spotted a magazine that was in one of the fields, right on the edge of the field. And I picked it up. I was just curious, what is this magazine? And I opened it up and it was a Playboy magazine. I had never seen anything like that in my life. And I remember as I, I looked at that magazine and it, was, it did something to me. And I closed it up. And I realized that day that for Dave Binkley, he could have nothing to do with pornographic magazines. And I've never had anything to do with them since. But I knew from that day when I opened that magazine, what that did to me, I knew that was like kryptonite to Superman in my life. And if I didn't stay away from it, it would destroy me. It would destroy me. It's pornea. Pornea. I know this will date me a little bit, but I can remember the Emmy Award winning comedy show, Dick Van Dyke, back in the 60s and 70s. And I remember when they would show their bedroom, there were two twin beds. You remember that? There was the bed for this married couple. There was the bed for Laura Petrie. And there was the bed for Rob Petrie. And two twin beds separate. In those days, they didn't even want to show the married couple in bed together. And I, I kind of wondered where Richie came from in that whole scene. But <laughs> that always kind of confused me. But... We are not living in Dick Van Dyke days. Now your Emmy Award winning shows are Sex in the City. And things that used to be under the counter are now only a click of the mouse away in our homes. Things that were excluded. You remember this... The movie Gone with the Wind. Remember that? Frankly, Scarlet, I don't... You know the way that goes. And the whole nation was appalled at that use of that word. Now we hear a lot worse than that on TV. The Thessalonians lived in a community that were... They were greatly influenced by Greek and Roman thought. This environmental influence that was all around them. And Paul was so scared they're going to slip back into that. They're going to slip back into that stuff. The Greeks had a very low view of marriage. 
Demosthenes, one of their philosophers, spelled it out when he said, we keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for day-by-day needs of the body. We keep wives for the beginning of children and for the faithful guardianship of our homes. The Greeks had the philosophy that if a man supported his wife and family financially, it was perfectly all right for him to have extramarital affairs as long as he financially supported his wife and kids. The Greek religions of that day practiced temple prostitution, which involved hiring a prostitute at a pagan temple as a form and a ritual of worship. Pleasure at any cost was the philosophy of their day. The Romans weren't much better. Seneca put it this way, Women were married to be divorced and divorced to be married. If you've ever studied anything about the breakdown of the Roman Empire, you realize one of the greatest things that destroyed the Roman Empire was the breakdown of the family. Hebrews 13.4, it's still in our Bible. God hasn't stuttered and He hasn't changed His mind. He still says this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, and we need to bring this verse out of the mothballs. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. i got some books I want to share with you. Uh, all, all four of these are available in our church uh, library, by the way. This one here, I've, I've, I've referred to this one before. Uh, we use this in counseling. It's called Pure Desire by Ted Roberts. Um, this is how one man's triumph can help others break free from sexual temptation. And this book is one man's journey um, to become clean from pornography. All right. Pure Desire. Another book that I read this week is uh, Every Man's Battle by Steve Arterburn and Fred Stoker, Winning the War on Sexual Temptation, One Victory at a Time. It's a tremendous book. Tremendous book. Every Man's Battle. Another one is, uh, there's a whole Every series, by the way, that's by uh, Stephen Arterburn and uh, Fred Stoker. The other one's Every Young Man's Battle. Every Young Man's Battle. And then the last one is uh, Every Young Woman's Battle, okay? But uh, we've got those all in our, our church library. Uh, very good reference books to, to look at. Let me... Uh, so what do we do with, with all this stuff? What do we do with this fourth chapter of First Thessalonians I think if we're going to win the battle over sexual immorality, it really is going to start with two things. We must address the issue of our eyes. And I'm mainly speaking to the guys here, but also the women. But uh, men are stimulated through their eyes, through what they see. Women are stimulated more by touch. Okay? We must address the issue of our eyes, guys. 
A great book in the Bible is the book of Job. And, and we've, we've used that book and we've preached from it and taught from it many times on the subject of suffering. But if, if you get past the first two chapters, if you get past the bankruptcy and the bereavement and the boils, if you get past those first two chapters, there are some tremendous verses in the book of Job. And I'm not so sure there's any better one than something Job said in Job 31.1. Job 31.1, Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. How many of you ever heard, heard that preached out of Job? Seriously, let me read that again. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. And guys, we need to make a covenant with our eyes. We need to make a covenant with our eyes. In his book, Every Man's Battle, Stephen Archerburn and Fred Stoker, they talk about bouncing the eyes. And I thought this was an interesting concept. Bouncing the eyes. They said this, The problem is that your eyes have always bounced toward the sexual, guys. That's very natural. For our eyes to bounce toward the sexual. I'm going to talk about that just a little bit more this morning. And he says, And you've made no attempt to end this habit. To combat it, you need to build a reflex action by training your eyes to immediately bounce away from the sexual. That's the spiritual approach. We have to bounce our eyes. Let me illustrate it for you. I live in a very dangerous neighborhood. It's a dangerous neighborhood for men. Because where I live, I am basically right in the middle of two fitness centers. All right? Now you say, well, what's, what's dangerous about that? Well, when you have two fitness centers, you have a lot of people that go out jogging on your street. There is always someone jogging up and down Maple, uh, Maple Crest Road because it's, it's right there by these two fitness centers. And one of the things I had to make a covenant with my eyes on was female joggers. I had to make a covenant with my eyes. I cannot help necessarily seeing that female jogger if I'm driving and she just happens to be running by the side of the road. But guys, when you make a covenant with your eyes, you say, I'm not looking in my rearview mirror when I pass her. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you can't help necessarily that first look, but you can sure help that second look. And I'm talking about that second look this morning. I'm talking about making a covenant with your eyes, guys. Instead of looking at it, I'm going to look away. You have to train your eyes. That's not a natural thing to do. You have to spiritually train your eyes. Look away. Look away. Oh, man, I tell you, when I was working on this message this past week... I had flashbacks to, uh, it was around 2000, the year was around 2000 when I was youth pastor here. And I remember the uh, Avalon Missionary Church, their youth group, 
Uh, it's back in the days when Scott Haddix was their youth pastor. And I, I remember something that happened at Central District Youth Convention that year that left an indelible impression on me. And Scott told me a story because Scott and I were good friends. And he told me a story about what was going on in his youth group. He said his, his young men decided that they were going to get serious with God. And he said, what, what is your greatest temptation? And they said, lust, looking at girls. He said, so what are you going to do about that? And they said, well, one of the worst things is going to CDYC. They said, it's, it's, it's terrible there. And going to the swimming pool at CDYC. Now, they have dress codes at CDYC, but they having rules and enforcing rules sometimes is not the same thing. And they left it up to each youth pastor to police their own youth group as far as modesty and dress codes. And I want you to know during the six years that I was here as youth pastor, I never had to say one thing to the girls in our youth group about that issue. They dressed very modestly. But not everybody did. And these, these young men from Avalon that really wanted to serve and please the Lord, they did something real goofy. And sometimes youth ministry goes that way. They decided that when they got to CDYC, they were going to wear blindfolds. How many of you think that people noticed that? But here was the weird thing. As they walked all over that campus, they had their blindfolds, and they would have the girls leading them around, trying to help them in this area. It's interesting. This went on for a couple days until finally one of the youth pastors said, something's got to be done about that because it's really not safe. There are a lot of stairs in the auditorium. There are a lot of stairs at the gymnasium. There are a lot of cars that drive around the campus. And one of these kids walking around with blindfolds, they're, they're going to get hurt. So they got the leadership of the youth group together. And we decided, well, what are we going to do? Because we wanted to honor what they were doing and yet, it was kind of an unsafe situation. So we said that basically when they walked around the campus, uh, they would have to take the blindfolds off when they were on the street. If they were going up and down stairs, they'd have to take them off. But when they got to the sessions, they could put them back on. If they walked to the gym, uh, and we told them, stay away from the swimming pool. If you feel that much, if you feel that strong about this, don't even go to the swimming area. Stay away from it. And, and that's the way the week went. But I, I always think back on that. Not even a hint of sexual immorality. And these guys were wearing blindfolds. I always think back on that story. We must address the issue of our eyes. Second, we must address the issue of our thought life. Our thought life. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, we take every, we take captive every thought to bring it into obedience to Christ. We take captive every thought to make sure that it's obedient to Christ, is what Paul said. Wow. What a filtering system that would be. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, do not be conformed any longer 
to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the, the Phillips translation there talks about, do not let this world squeeze you into its own mold. Because the world will do that. That environmental influence that the Thessalonians feel, we feel today. Don't let this world squeeze you into its own mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How often does that need to happen? How often does that renewing of your mind need to happen? Once a week? Who said that? Constantly. That is a constant thing. Renewing of your mind. What are you filling your minds with? What kind of TV programs are you watching? What kind of magazines are you reading or looking at? It's a constant renewing of our minds. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It's given us there in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, a filter of how we are, what we are supposed to allow to go into our minds and what we are to keep out of our minds. It's very, very plain. Very, very plain. We have to deal with the issue of our eyes. We have to deal with the issue of our thought life. We have to deal with the issue of our heart. The issue of our heart. Now, I'm keenly aware, I've been around here 18 years on staff. I was around here 18 years growing up, from the age of four. So altogether, I've been around here 36 years, and I know a lot of stuff that's going on around here. A lot of stuff. And I know some of you that are listening to me this morning are hearing my words, and you may be feeling totally defeated at this point. Perhaps you've already blown it so badly that you feel there is no hope for you. Perhaps you haven't been faithful to your spouse. Maybe you were promiscuous in your younger days or the days before you came to know Christ. Maybe you've been carrying around guilt and shame, and fear, and feeling like a moral failure. I want you to know the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I want you to know that what you did before you came to Christ, as terrible as it might have been, as many skeletons in your closet you might have had, as many conquests as you had, I want you to know when you came to know Jesus Christ, the Lord said to you, you're a new person. That old person doesn't exist anymore. Let that person die and let the new person live. One day in John chapter 8, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law brought a woman to Jesus, put her right in the middle, and, and they, they looked at Jesus and they said, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Moses' law commands that this woman should be stoned, but what do you say? 
Jesus stooped down, started writing something. We don't know what he wrote. But when he looked up, everyone was gone. All of her accusers were gone. And Jesus says, where are those thine, your accusers? And she said, there are none, Lord. He says, neither do I, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Or the NIV, go and leave your life of sin. There's a fresh start with Jesus. Is there any hope for you or must you remain stained and soiled for life? Some sins do bring large consequences. We do reap what we sow. And sometimes those consequences of sin continue after a person has become a Christian. I can't, I can't deny that. I can't change that for you. But Jesus continues to proclaim to every broken sinner, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. You can't do a thing to change your past, and it's a waste of time to even try. However, you can do something about your future. By God's grace, you can be clean and pure from this day forward. When I'm doing counseling many times, those are some of my favorite words. When I look at people, I use those words, from this day forward. From this day forward. I remember when I was doing youth ministry, many times we'd take kids to sessions and seminars for, for the youth, and a lot of times uh, the speaker would speak on sex. You don't hear that too much in adult church, but they hit the kids pretty hard with that kind of stuff. And I would, I would, have, I would have young people come up to me for counseling, and they'd say, I'm not a virgin. I'm not a virgin. And every time that this speaker says something, I feel like, I feel so dirty. I feel unclean, like I need to take a bath. And I would always say, from this day forward, from this day forward, you can live a holy and a pure and a clean life before Jesus from this day forward. You don't have to live in guilt, fear, shame, or moral failure any longer. I went to, I went to the Fort Wayne Bible College with a young lady who had accepted Christ late in her high school years. She had had an abortion previously to come into the Fort Wayne Bible College. Deep, deep regret, deep guilt, even after she'd given her life to Christ. And the joy of being able to share with her, you're not the same person anymore. And even though you did what was wrong, there's forgiveness with God. You don't have to keep going on with shame and guilt and fear and feeling like a moral failure. You don't have to live your life like that anymore. You're a new person in Christ. Maybe you're here this morning. You've been living with secret sins in your life. And we live in a sin a sex, sin, saturated society, don't we? But maybe this morning you've been given just a little bit of hope that you don't have to go out the way you came in. But for the first time in a long time, you can know peace and purity from this day forward. And maybe you want to just say this very simple, uh, very simple sentence. Today, I'm coming clean because I want to be clean. Today, I'm coming clean because I want to be clean. We're going to ask you to stand as the worship team comes and 
Marla's chosen a very, very good song. I don't know if Marla chose her pastor, Bob. I don't know anymore. One of them chose it. <laughs> 